All right, guys, what's up, everyone? Welcome to another episode of the Retic Lounge. We're your host, Nathan Katz and Lucas Bagnara. This is episode what, Lucas? 33? 34. 34. All right. Yeah, I'm losing track now. That's a good sign. Right. So uh, th- this is going to be kind of a, a controversial one in, I think, a lot of people's eyes. But we're going to be talking inbreeding versus line breeding this episode. I hope everyone got the reference on the thumbnail. Um, if not, uh, we're not creeps. But uh, yeah, inbreeding, line breeding, I think Speak we for have... yourself, Lucas. <laughs> I'm not a creep. (laughs) Um, Yeah, I think that there's a lot of good information to talk about, uh, both from the good side and the bad side. Um, Or, I mean, not even good or bad, right or wrong. We'll let you go ahead and drop those comments down below on what you think is appropriate. Um, You know, I know for a lot of animals and a lot of different species out there, it's kind of a common thing. But with retics and the Lacey Act ban and us not being able to import, um, at least especially from like the locality standpoint, it can be something that is uh controversial to talk about so before we jump into all that good information again just thank you guys so much for your support um i want to remind you we're at like at the time of recording we're close to 500 subs on youtube once we get to 1000 subs um we are going to be doing a vivtech products basket giveaway i have talked to erica and ryan and we're going to put together a basket of goodies for you guys. We are going to support VivTech and buy those products from them with our code. But we're going to buy them nonetheless. And we are going to have them ship out this gift basket to one lucky winner um, once we get to 1K. Uh, again, thank you guys so much for those of you that follow and like on Apple Podcasts as well as Spotify. Uh, and Nathan, talk about USARC before we jump into this. A uh, lot of recent things that have been coming up yeah I, i've been super busy with work so uh forgive me but i haven't kept up on my emails i need to go through them tomorrow when i have some time uh but i know there's been a lot of hearings a lot of public discussion on some of the bills that have been going through on us arc uh make sure you're a member if you're an animal keeper of any kind uh they help any of us keeping reptiles amphibians fish birds anything you can think of so um make sure you're a member today Use our link below. Right. I actually just bought two bronze memberships for two people that purchased snakes um, earlier in the week. So that was the first time I got to do that. Cool experience. Um, I forgot who we had on that did that. Chris. Chris McVicker. Well, and um, that's the other part of our giveaway is we're going to be doing for every 100 after the, oh, that. We're right. going to be giving away some bronze memberships to US Arc, making sure that we have some of our supporters as members of US Arc. Right. Right, right, right. All right. So, um we're going to jump into this um, right after I cough right now. If you guys can't tell, my voice isn't doing well. All right. So inbreeding, line breeding. Nathan, what do you know about the difference even between the two? Is there a difference? Well, I mean, yeah. I mean, inbreeding is going to be a, a much more closely related animals. So inbreeding is breeding uh is a breeding strategy that's going to be used where you're breeding, you know, parents to siblings or um, siblings to each other, siblings to each other, offspring to the parents, that kind of thing. Um, Where line breeding is where you're using an animal that has some genetics from the animal that uh, you're using, but a little bit further away in the family tree Uh, a good example i have is i'm using a phantom male he's het for albino in that 
strain of albino in super dwarfs uh, traces all the way back to a Canadian breeder. So um, although it's a it's a small connection, there is a connection there. Right. It's kind of like also like if someone is making super tigers, right? And let's say you have a tiger that you bought that's like six years old and then you decide to buy another tiger down the road um, that was not like even from the same parents. But we know that tigers came from, you know, that tiger gene that was imported in the 90s. You know, that that's a form of like line breeding in a sense. Right. But um, and yeah, I mean, I think that those are great ways to differentiate how closely they're related, but then also kind of like the purpose. Right. Well, and with importation closed here in the U.S., with any of the morphs that we have, you can trace them back to the original animal. When it comes to albino, you can trace it back to Bob Clark. Uh, the endocarmal stuff, you would have to probably educate me on that, but I'm sure you could trace it back to a single animal that was brought into the U.S. or a group of yeah. animals. Yeah, and there's some, we've had different type of, like, I know there's a Baldogo line Amels, and then there's another line that also came in with Amels and stuff, but but yeah, ultimately, like, most of the more stuff that's out there is, it's all, you know, related and connected in some way, and I think that's why I, I, I really was inspired to do this episode, was to discuss, like, the ethics surrounding it, and making sure that we are doing the best that we can as retail keepers to, uh, not breed recklessly and just like continue to take babies on together without like a really specific purpose because line breeding and inbreeding, I think <laughs> both have a value. Uh, there are a lot of people that are like strictly against it. I've actually uh, talked to some other locality people and I, I mean, they've told me things like, Oh, if you take siblings together, like don't even message me again. Right. Or like if you, if there's no di genetic diversity and you continue to breed them and then you make them available and then people start like they, they feel very strongly about that. And I don't necessarily blame them, um, you know, but there's I, I'll use Hamahara, for example. Right. We only have a pair of wild caught Hamaharas that are producing the babies that are out there. And to say that anyone who buys a Hamahara can't breed to produce Hamaharas, like I feel like that's not really a fair statement to do. Um, but you want to be responsible with how you do it, right? Um, like of for course. example, I'll make pure Hamaharas from siblings that I have, um, but I won't sell pairs to people, right? Just to make sure that no one is taking it down a third generation of inbreeding. Now they can always go out of their way to find someone who has one and breed it, right? Um, but that's just a way that I'm going to do my due diligence to make sure I'm just not like, here's a pair and given that impression of like, let's just continue breeding siblings and siblings and siblings. Um, but when you have a, when you have a locality specifically that if you don't do that from time to time, they'll be wiped out of the U S um, uh, you got to kind of preserve them. Right. I don't want to see Halmaharas or Tombalongans or Tombalongans. I don't want to see them go. Right. Yeah. Yeah. No, they, they have a place. And I think just the biggest thing is making sure that we're breeding for the strongest animals that we have as a representation of that bloodline. Right. Um, Especially when you're bottlenecked like that. Right. And, and I, I love that you mentioned that because like I had this like planned in my head on how I would talk about this, but it completely left my mind and you're bringing it up. Um, so I don't know whether to name drop or not, but um, someone in the Superdorf community has actually gone to these islands and have seen how these animals on Kalato and stuff 
live in separate cave systems throughout the island. And, you know, one thing that this person proposed was that this family, this cluster that lives in a single cave system, they are all breeding within each other and are likely all related. Um, every once in a while, I'm sure there'll be another animal that comes by that's unrelated, that gets fresh bloodline that's within there. But um, the idea that uh, on Superdorf Islands, because it's such a small island, they're more than likely all related, right? And so um, I think it's given this false pretense. Uh, and this is where that that's all the information about this individual. Everything that I'm about to say moving forward is my thought. Um, hasn't once been said by that other person. But my thought is that um, that information could be a little misleading to people in the sense of like, oh, well, since they, they're all related on the islands here in the U.S. in captivity, we can just inbreed and we can, you know, we can or, or line breed and it's not going to have a negative consequence. But I think what a lot of people don't realize is that in the wild, natural selection is a part of everyday living. The strongest natural the... selection and you're talking the same amount of time, if not longer, to get to sexually mature adults. Right. Right. And so in the wild, there's like, you know, the strongest don't survive, right? Survival of the fittest, natural selection that happens in the wild without a doubt. Here in captivity, most breeders are force feeding their babies to try to get them to survive. Um, they're, they're cleaning the mold off of the eggs and they're going through these very drastic measures to make sure that all the babies survive so that they can for whatever reason, I'm not going to say that, you know, only to make a buck because at the same time, I know the excitement of having a clutch and I want every baby to survive. So during my first two clutches, I did fiddle with eggs and I did try to do everything I could to make all the babies survive. I did in my first clutch have to force feed animals. Um, I didn't have to, I chose to, but my line of thinking has changed since then. And so here in the U.S. or in breeders in general, we don't really allow natural selection to take its place like it does in the wild. And even if we try to, it's still not going to be as effective as it is in the wild. So eventually, I think we run into some problems if we just continue to breed, uh, you know, sibling to sibling, you know, with locality stuff and even with poor stuff, right? So do you do you want to kind of jump into like pros and cons of just inbreeding since we're we're there right now? Yeah, I, I'll knock off a few, and then if you want, you can jump in with with some more. Um, let's start with pros. Is that cool? Yeah. So it's, okay. The uh, first is you're you're able to produce consistent and predictable offsprings with the traits that you're going for. So any of those desired traits. With uh, with siblings to parents or sibling to sibling, you're able to predict a little bit better what those babies are going to look like. Yeah, I'll give an example. So a lot of Kalatoas and what a lot of people like about Kalatoas is that a lot of them have a solid dorsal stripe down the middle of their back. And so if you want to enhance that and make all those babies have that thick dorsal stripe down the middle of its back all the way to the tail you inbreed you take sibling to sibling that have that strong feature to that strong feature and you enhance it through generations right that's polygenic thought process we have a video on on you know breeding with a purpose so you can check out that link that will drop in the description i think of some of the most popular lines of kalatoa those wouldn't be possible without inbreeding yeah yeah talk about the tk line and things like that um that that's you know um 
So yeah, polygenic traits is like one of those pros. You you see what you want from that clutch and you pair those siblings together and you continue to enhance it and you selectively breed for a specific trait. That's definitely a pro. Um, what other pros? Uh, so it can be used pr to produce new morphs or different color patterns. Yeah. Um, uh, I think a good example of that, uh, cause I don't really consider it a codom. I know that it, there's still some work on trying to figure it out, mm -hmm. but like Krispy Kreme. Right? Krispy so Kreme or say, say you take any of the new morphs to a pure, uh, female and breed the 50% heads the siblings back together to produce oh, visuals yeah duh okay true right so you're going to start to see a lot of that as like the hypo project or the ocelot project and the anthrax project start to make their way into superdor <laughs> as they start to make their way into superdor if you're going to see people holding back clutches taking siblings together to create visuals right and that typically when you have a new recessive project that's how it works right um you have to at some point do some inbreeding uh, in addition to line breeding down the road uh, to get that project established. Um, and it's done with mainlands too, with the ocelot or rainbow or arcoiris, whatever you want to call it. It's all um, in order to get the population of them that we have now, you had to do inbreeding and line breeding. You had to put them together in order to make it work. Um, I think Unpopular another... opinion, I, I say ocelot. I do too. Um, so... You know, on that topic, I feel like depending on who, like I have one, but I feel like if I bought it from someone who, like if I, if I, I, I wouldn't, but if I bought an animal from prehistoric pet and I got a rainbow from them and he calls them rainbow, I would probably call them rainbow just because it's coming from that person. That's what they call them. I got mine from Aubrey. Aubrey calls them ocelots. I call them ocelots, but I will say I do refer to all of them as ocelot. But like if I bought a rainbow from Jay, I would probably call it a rainbow. Yeah, I think it can kind of muddy the waters. I, I understand the, the point of, uh, you know, it, it's line breeding in the end of the day, and that's what we're talking about. So, right. I don't get the reason for the different names. It's Yeah, if, if they were so distinguishable between the three, I think it would be a little bit easier for me to justify it. But uh, for, for just uh, morphology sake, I feel like, you know, I stick to Ocelot. Right. It's the same thing as like Bob Clark causes Platinum's fire. Yeah, exactly. Right. Um, okay, that took so, me forever to figure out. Right. <laughs> so. I was like, what the, what the hell's a fire? <laughs> um, so another pro um, is the, uh, I, I was just talking about that, being able to conserve or the conservation efforts of a specific locality. Yeah. And uh, for those of you that like are big in conservation and things like that, I'm not talking about like truly conserving to go release in the wild and like building up, but I'm talking about just like to prevent a locality from being washed out of the U S because we can't import. Um, so any other pros before we jump into the cons and, and before we jump into the cons, I do want to do our sponsorship plug. Uh, none that I can really think of right now. And we're talking about, inbreeding correct uh yeah right now yeah okay um well if i have any more pros i'll come back to it but in the meantime i'm gonna go ahead give our sponsors their moment thank you so much for sponsoring us we appreciate all of you and we'll be back after that 
Whether you're just getting into retics or you've been breeding for years, the first place you want to visit is Stewart Design. More and more breeders keep showing up at shows, on Morph Market, and all over socials. Sometimes it may feel impossible to get anyone's attention. Stewart Design helps small businesses like yours do big things through brand clarity, helping entrepreneurs to start and scale businesses that are easy to know and love. Their work can help any company or industry, but they've done a ton of work for ours. Stewart Design created the brand for US Arcs, Canova, Reach Out Reptiles, Coiled, and dozens of other well-known reptile breeders. Like many of us, the owner of Stewart Design, Blake, is a keeper and breeder who fell in love with retics. Although Stewart Design does a lot of corporate work, Blake has a passion for working with people in the reptile industry. So, wondering if Stewart Design is right for you? Stewart Design can help if you're just getting started or you're ready to take things to the next level. Maybe you're struggling to stand out and build your presence online or at shows. And maybe you don't want to be like the other guys or get lost in the crowd. You want to make your own way doing what you love. You might just have a big idea and know your business is special, but you need help sharing it with the reptile community. If something here resonates with you, reach out to Blake. Have a conversation with him. To learn more or get started, visit sdidentity.com or call them at 855-SD-LOGOS. Clear brand, own markets, Steward Design helps create them. If you are in the market for an enclosure for your reticulated python or any other one of your reptiles, Focus Cubed Habitats is your one-stop shop for not only the best-looking cages on the market, but also provide amazing features and add-ons to your cages. We partnered with Focus Cute Habitats because they continue to innovate and change the way we house our animals unlike any other caging company out there. Their cages are designed intelligently and provide the most stylish and secure housing for your animals' comfort and well-being. Visit focuscubedhabitats.com for your animals' caging needs. Again, visit focuscubedhabitats.com for some amazing and stylish enclosures. We also want to thank VivTech Products for being an affiliate sponsor of the Retic Lounge. Stop by VivTech Products for the best UV spectrum lighting on the market that will enhance and improve your snake's overall well-being and health. Visit VivTechProducts.com and use the code RETICLOUNGE23 today for 15% off. Again, visit VivTechProducts.com and use our affiliate code retic lounge 23 today for 15 percent off all right so you want to jump into the cons now uh yeah and i feel like these cons can probably be generalized to also uh line breeding uh yeah i i feel like you can kind of intermingle both the pros and cons here but uh you know it just depends on how you use either, either of them right um so cons number one um harmful recessive genes that can take place um or harmful genes in general so for example you take a golden child to a golden child get a super golden child not a good snake right um and you know when we're talking about inbreeding um again because we are not using natural selection um, we are increasing the chance of 
like genetic makeup not being strong creating weaker you, you offsprings could, you could consider it a hidden recessive gene in terms of uh, a mutation that you don't want in the snake right. uh, a good example is the the tongue issue that you get with uh super tigers or um even you know tigers. some a lot yep. of tigers have like a tongue flick where like it only goes out just a little bit Yep. Tigers, uh, some of your fatal combinations, like your super golden childs. Um, let's see, there's, there's a couple of their fate, the, uh, black eyed leucistics, which are usually, uh, a fatal combination. So, yeah, which is a lemon glow to a lemon glow. And again, mm -hmm. lemon glow is another word for platinum, which is another word for fire. So we know what we're doing here in the retake industry. Um, so, yeah, the black eye leucistic digestive tract issues, uh, that struggle. I know that there are some people who have successfully kept adult, you know, black eye leucistics, but generally speaking, they don't thrive. They don't do well. And I don't know about you, Nathan, but I've gotten to a point now where um, I even made a video for Patreon today while I was candling my uh, ocelot to tiger endocarmal eggs. Mm -hmm. um, and speaking of, how are those? Uh, uh, they're great. Uh, so uh, the 28th of this month is going to be day 84. Um, eggs still look nice and full. There's only one that uh, there's a clutch of 25 and only one has some discoloration that just started popping up. Um, so still has a chance to hatch with, you know, less than 30 days left. Or it could be for whatever reason the embryo died uh, in the egg. And now the egg is just slowly going bad. So we'll see. But the other eggs are perfectly white, look beautiful, uh, candling well. Uh, we even got to see some, uh, a little, when I candle one of the eggs, you could see one of the heads kind of like move across. Have you seen that before? Yeah. Yeah. yeah really um, in fact, I was on uh, just a, a little Discord chat. I had to miss our uh, Zoom meeting this last week, but jumped on with some people a couple days later and candled some eggs uh, from my purple albino to phantom head albino clutch. And, uh, you know, only had one egg go bad out of the 22 and the rest candled really well. Saw all the little embryos developing at the bottom of the egg. So I'm which excited is, to candle them in a, in a couple weeks and just see the growth. Which is really cool because your female laid on day like, 55 55 man and i was panicking when my female laid on day 50 yeah uh everyone i've talked to that's that's one of the latest clutches i've ever heard so it's pretty late man um, uh but luckily all the eggs look good i'm i'm excited to see what pops out of there um see how healthy the babies are that's i think my biggest worry just with how this year went uh, i think it's really due to cage temperatures i think i've talked about that already but you know, we'll we'll see how it goes and keep everyone updated here on the lounge. Yeah. Um, so we were talking about, I think what sparked the conversation was my ocelot and uh, endocarmal. And we were talking about, oh man, we're not good at breaking away. No. Um, or at least I'm not. <laughs> but, but we need to get into the cons. That's all I know. So let's yeah, lead cons. us off. So it can lead to a, a decrease in the genetic diversity and an increase in harmful re uh, recessive genes like we were talking about. So yeah. we kind of already let off on that. It also may result in reduced fitness and health of the offspring over time. So if you keep 
inbreeding and keep inbreeding and keep inbreeding, you're going to run into a, a wonderful whites of West Virginia kind of a situation. <laughs> Your snakes, instead of hissing, are going to start barking like dogs. They're <laughs> right. right. Maybe, They're going to have buck teeth. <laughs> maybe you instead know. of using a U.S. state, maybe we'll just refer to like the the Brits. No, we'll just <laughs> we'll just insert a picture of the wonderful whites of West Virginia because everyone <sighs> will understand after that. That's a great documentary, but if you have that is it, just it is... that is inbreeding at its finest, folks. Yeah. So, um, and again, that goes back down to that statement I said early on, like survival of the fittest is a real thing in the wild and in, in captivity. When everyone is trying to make every animal survive, um, you're, you're just not going to be able to control if you keep inbreeding, um, the, the negative long-term effects. And to me, I feel like in captivity, things are sped up so much quicker than evolution does in the wild. And so it happens, I think a lot quicker in captivity. So, you know, yeah, a lot of people... we're forcing the hand. We're not right. we're not allowing anything right. else to happen. Right. Like a lot of people use that for the superdwarf argument in terms of like, oh, well, it took hundreds of years for these, you know, superdwarfs to get that small, you know, why do why do we think that we'll get them big real quick in captivity? And it's like, well, that's because we're we're feeding superdwarfs pigs and we're feeding them big rabbits and we're feeding them animals that are twice, three, four, five times the size that they get on the island. And it's not that we're doing that in a like it's not not everyone is doing it in an unhealthy way but at the end of the day you can in my opinion you might disagree you can reverse that evolution much quicker by going back to feeding it prey size items that it would generally find on the mainland island and not on Kalatoa. yeah it's an interesting theory i just really don't know yeah um okay um yeah so um also, I mean, one con, and I mean, I guess it's not a con, it's more of a rant that I have. Um, like, if you're going to inbreed, do it with a purpose um, that we mentioned on some of those pros. But Make sure you have healthy, super strong animals. Right. And also, if you're inbreeding, just because you don't want to spend more money to diversify, like if there is diversity out there and you're refusing to get it and you're just breeding to breed... Uh, not a good thing to do. Like what we have in the U S with retakes is what we have. I know that people are probably importing these things still to this day, but at the end of the day, what we have in our gene pool here is what we have, especially locality wise. And it's not wise for you to, uh, continue to just do a TK Kaltoa to a TK Kaltoa and just keep doing that. Um, find other bloodlines out there, diversify, branch out. Um, with the money that you get from the animals that you're able to sell with your first pairing and clutch. I feel like it's common sense, but I just had to throw that out there. Yeah. Yeah. Um, all right. So now let's talk about line breeding, which is a little bit different. And uh, Nathan, go ahead and just cap what line breeding is again so that we could just start off this topic. So line breeding is going to involve individuals that are related, but not as closely as related in inbreeding. So this is going to help maintain certain desirable traits or characteristics within a bloodline while still maintaining a certain level of genetic diversity. Yeah. So a good example of that, that we talked about earlier is, um, 
So you can also use line breeding as polygenic. And I know that we talked about that with inbreeding as well. But with line breeding, you can do that as well. But ideally what's happening with line breeding is, you know, you're taking an animal to another animal and they're unrelated, right? Um, and you're taking those offsprings over to uh, other unrelated animals. But at some point down the line, you are crossing it back to a related animal because you see a specific trait that you want and you're trying to hone in on those attributes. Um, or it can be done also unintentionally, right? Again, if you're making super tigers and you know you got animals that were unrelated uh, by parents and grandparents and even maybe even great grandparents like for the tiger end of the spectrum, but you're making super tigers. So you're taking a tiger to a tiger and the tigers are all related in the US. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, uh, you know what? When we get Bob Clark on here, it'd be interesting to hear that. I, I, if anyone knows, drop it in the comments. If anyone knows that there was more than one tiger that was imported. To my knowledge, I think it was just the single tiger. Um, well, and same goes with Clark Albino. It was right. all back to that big female that was imported by Anson Wong. Right. So those are good examples of line breeding, right? Like if you are producing visual albinos you are taking either hats or visuals together and those purples all came from uh i think we had a lavender that was imported um and yeah so that's an example of what line breeding looks like so what are some of the pros of line breeding so i <clears throat> uh, just let's see um i mean line breeding just first in my mind right off the bat is going to be uh just the increase in genetic diversity that you get within the animals while still going for a certain look or trait. Yeah. Um, and uh, it's it's pretty useful when you want to fix a desirable trait. Um, and what I mean by that is just taking it back to the original line in order to... So like, I'll, I'll use this for example, marbles, right? Um, some people liked really striped out marbles. Other people liked the more chaotic marbles, right? Um, and so, you know, when you start to breed marbles down and you continue to make marble offspring and you start to get these striped out marbles, um, you might end up taking it back to that original one that was more, uh, broken out pixelated to enhance that, right? If you're like not liking how the stripe is looking, you could take it back to the original, um, one of the non-marble offsprings or marble offspring um, and take it down, down the road to get back to the roots of what it is that you like. Yeah. Want me to go on the next one? Sure. Uh, so you can produce some consistent and predictable offspring again with, uh, with line breeding. So it gives you a certain level of, consistency while not having to involve a whole new bloodline while working with a specific trait. Yeah. Um, and I mean, if we talk as far as like cons of <clears throat> line breeding, um, they're going to be relatively the same as yeah. they are with really. Uh, yeah. With, with inbreeding. And so rather than honing on that, I want to hear from you, Nathan, like just, your personal opinion, um, what you 
are trying to do? What are you trying to avoid when it comes on the topic? Like, I want to hear kind of your perspective on that. I could give a really specific example. So um, I have a pair from my 2021 clutch. It's a male and female. They're both a golden child, platinum, sun tiger, het snows. I may have forgot something. Um, But there's a few reasons why I wouldn't take them together. Super golden childs being the number one reason. Don't want to do that. Um, but then uh, I have uh, some line breeding kind of plans with them. So I have a female that has the same genetics as my purple albino from different parents. Um, she's an annery, 75% Kalatoa, 12.5% Jampea, hopefully uh, proving out the albino this year. Um, but I'm going to take the male from the purple albino to the annery instead. So it is still line breeding within in there. And I, I guess in a sense of inbreeding as well, because it's still within that family tree, but it gives just a little bit of separation within the, the bloodline. So I'm not taking him straight back to mom. Right. I could um, take him straight back to mom just because they're both very strong animals and I could feel good about it. But since I have that other animal at my disposal, I would feel much better about taking him to, you know, the the cousin of that snake. Yeah. Um, I remembered what I was talking about with the uh, ocelot pairing and like what I was, you know, remember when I blanked out. Glad to jog your memory, buddy. (laughs) Right. So thank you. Um, So we were talking about the topic of inbreeding. And, uh, and I remember we were talking about like the necessary evil to do that in order to establish like super dwarf versions of recessives. And so, um, talking about like the ocelot and, you know, when you're taking it to other animals, uh, like my localities in order to make visuals of that locality, I need to take those siblings back together. Um, you know, unless, unless I have the capability of, of, you know, I mean, no, even then it would still be line or inbreeding, like, you know, but taking siblings back together to produce a visual ocelot, ternate, or kaiwadi, or or kalatoa. Um, but then even if I use that same locality, but like an unrelated animal, and then took those babies together, uh, they're still 50% related, right? So yeah, hate it or love it, anyone working with reticulated pythons, especially in the morph side of things, there's a level of inbreeding or line breeding that goes on within their program it's just a necessary evil now it's just the ethics and how you do it right now what's really cool is that once you create that project that you've worked hard and you've line bred for or you've inbred for i feel like your next sole responsibility is to diversify that bloodline find something unrelated find another codon to put with that recessive try to find ways to make as little bit of that family connection as you absolutely can. Um, that's just my opinion. Uh, it's not something that I'm saying that people that do that are, are not doing the right thing because everyone has their own uh, vision in terms of what they're seeing. But ultimately it's just making sure that you're not uh, selling weak offspring, right? Because of the uh, impacts of line breeding or inbreeding. Any other cons that you can think of that might be a little bit different than just straight inbreeding? Uh, 
No, not really. Um, what are your thoughts on like inbreeding locality stuff with like the lack of? I, I think I've mentioned kind of my thoughts on it already. I feel like for Tom Belongan, it's it's necessary. Oh, that's right. Although yeah. the the bloodline there is so bottlenecked that I don't know how long uh, those animals are going to remain strong and a, a, a viable option in breeding programs unless we start out crossing them to other uh, localities, you know, morph projects, things like that, just to... Yeah kind of help the, the animals but yeah, that's going to best... take away some of those traits of the tom belong and that everyone loves right i think the best way to go about that like if we have to at that point um you know tom belong and being right off the island of Salayer and those being saputriae subspecies you know taking that tom belong into the Salayer is probably the closest that you're going to ever get to producing a tom belong like animal mm -hmm. um and then you know you know taking then you, know, you so, want to almost line breed for size after that. Yeah, line breed for size. So, I mean, if you do like, you know, you take a inbred Tom Belong and you take it to an unrelated Slayer, um, now you have 50-50. Um, you can then take that to another unrelated Slayer, then take that back to the Tom Belong. And so you're back at 50-50. And you're just, again, bringing in new blood. Um, and, uh, yeah, you know, there's there's... And then eventually you could take that and try to increase the Tom Belongin to get to, I don't know, 87.5, 93.75 to try to get that high percentage, you know, as much Tom Belongin in size of the Tom Belongin as you can. Uh, it still will never be a pure, but I think look-wise will be pretty damn close. Yeah, I think I think that's a decent option. Yeah, but for me as a purist, it's that, that I... It wouldn't be the same for me, but it's it's again a way to visually have a similar looking animal without bottlenecking the the project out. So then, same question for you: How do you plan to implement both line breeding and inbreeding within your collection? Do you have any plans for either of the two? Yeah, so I actually did my first inbreeding this year, um, which yeah, I'm pretty sure it's inbreeding. Um, so. There's a rumor that my Kaiwadi um, came from uh, wild caught parents that uh, at one point produced a visual Anri Kaiwadi. Uh, I never saw proof of pictures of this Anri Kaiwadi. Um, I thought it was a bunch of BS, to be honest. Um, but then a close buddy of ours, um, hold on, got a cough. Close buddy of ours bred. Um, a Kaiwadi female from the same clutch as my female to uh, a platinum Anri Kalatoa and produced Anri animals, like clear as day Anri. So I was like, okay, so this this exists. And so um, my female hatched in 2018, and I took a male from the same parents, uh, from so an F1 male that was produced in 2019 from the same wild caught parents. So they are siblings, but not from the same clutch. And I took them together to try to prove out the anery. Um, and so that was my first instance of inbreeding. Um, but if I inbreed, it's going to be for things like that, like establishing a brand new anery locality in the U.S., right? Like that's a pretty big deal uh, to get anery Kaiwadis that – you know, there's a folktale about one existing that no one has ever seen pictures, never knew it existed. Um, but then when we found out that, you know, 
that line does carry Anry, um, you know, I wanted to try and prove that out. So that was important for me to do. Uh, again, I'll produce pure Hamaheras at some point. I'm not in a rush to, but those will be from siblings because, again, there's only one wild cup pair. Uh, but that's just because I love Palma Harris and I know a lot of people like them and why not make a little bit more available. And I know uh, you have some line breeding plans. So maybe just one yeah. or two of your line breeding plans. Um, so line breeding. Um, so taking um, line breeding. Um, well, I mean, I guess what we could consider line breeding is taking a, um, Man, that never gets old watching. Uh, taking different localities with the ocelot gene, combining them together, um, and you know, definitely utilizing ocelot in terms of line breeding. Um, <coughs> man, sorry. Um, was there anything specific you were thinking of? Because right now I'm kind of drawing a blank. I mean, I'm sure you have line breeding plans if you were to really think about it. I don't have anything specific in mind. Um, like a good... Uh, oh, my mar my marble. Um, I have a 50% Philippine, 25% Kalatoa marble. Uh, that looks better than any platinum marble I've seen because she has so much gold. Um, and so I'm going to use her to create marble offsprings and keep breeding those down to make them smaller with smaller localities. Um, and then eventually taking them those babies back to that one like if they start to get less yellow i'll eventually take it back to the mom of that so, project so what locality are you going to use to try to continue that yellow look um that would be a great example of line breeding yeah my philippine stuff uh my kaiwadi is super yellow that's um, what i figured yeah so kaiwadi philippine um and then um even some of the offsprings of my f1 kalatoas that i have um the female that I have is super yellow too. Has like pretty rich golds. So yeah, line breeding. Good example. Polygenic traits, trying to selectively breed for that color. I want to be able to continue to produce those vibrant gold marbles without including platinum. Um, so that my normal marbles make platinum marbles look me. <laughs> Uh, not saying that's going to happen. I'm not saying that from an arrogant manner, but like just in terms of polygenic like vision that I have, that's what I'm going for. Okay. Yeah. Uh, an example of line breeding for me, uh, just long-term goals that I have. If I produce some really cool, say, uh, albino phantom tiger stuff this year uh, or just albino phantoms, then I think it would be really cool to take a male back to the female that I've been raising the last two years. She's got two years on her. A male's got two years on him to really get to a good breeding place. So I think it could be cool to run that project back together. And, it, you know, it's kind of a mix of inbred, inbred line bread, but more, more on the line bread side. Yeah, I almost caught myself. I muted myself for one word and then I unmuted myself before you could call <laughs> me out. Um, so... Yeah, um, it happens. Um, now, to like do it intentionally over and over again without a purpose or drive, that's where it gets finicky. Um, but yeah, I think that's all that we really can cover. Well, and, you... and I, I just want to say like a good example of, you know, breeders being ethical in the inbreeding line breeding thing just over the, 
the years within reticulated pythons is you know you don't see a ton of people trying to produce black-eyed lucies and you don't see a ton of people trying to produce super golden childs and all these you know morphs that can have some problems there's a couple new morphs on the horizon that are showing that they're having some genetic problems and that's why you're not seeing them pop up in everyone's collection quite yet um, right. so it, it, it's going to take a decent amount of ethics and making sure that we have strong animals to to make sure that you know these things can continue being in our collections but you know not everyone's going to have a black-eyed lucy no one's not everyone's going to have a perfectly healthy super tiger <laughs> right exactly um a really good example of just the responsible aspect inside of that thing um all right so for the sake of my throat if you don't have anything else i think now's a good time to tune out uh yeah for the for those of you that stuck out and watched this episode comment down below this was useful for you ways that you implement it things you have against it again love hearing that feedback and replying to your comments uh and again that plug down below patreon.com go ahead and join our discord um, we are getting really close, um, or are at 60 members, but, um, again, probably around 75, we'll do another round of TRL merch and get that sent out. Yeah. That was a lot of fun. Uh, we had, oh, what 30 or so people that ended up getting shirts. So it'll be cool to, you know, see pictures, be able to post on the stories, show off. Yeah. Um, if you guys have any merch ideas, let us know. Beanies, hats, uh, I don't know. Underwear. Let us know. Couches. Couches. <laughs> TRL couches. Um, all right, guys. On that note, everyone, thank you so much for tuning in. We will catch you next Friday on our next episode. And for Zoom. And Lucas is dying. Goodbye, Bye, everyone. everyone.